Welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo for episode number 142. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Guy Holmes, and he is the president and CEO of TapeArc. Guy has spent 20 years working in the tape and data storage industry, and in the last five years, he founded TapeArc, where he has been a maverick for change, challenging the status quo to migrate legacy data to the cloud so that cloud-enabled technologies can be applied to foster actionable innovation and also drive commercial breakthroughs. Guy is a strong advocate for data liberation and the role that historical data will play in making profound discoveries in the future. Now, in this episode, we discuss why organizations are moving data from legacy tape into the cloud some of the most common types of data moved into the cloud and other fascinating details about tape that I'm sure you didn't even know. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Guy. How are you today? Awesome, Demetrius. Thank you. Pretty awesome to see your podcast growing. Yes, it is growing, and it's been a while since we've had you on, and I am really curious as to where Tape Arc is today. So why don't you just start us off by uh, giving the listeners a little detail about yourself and also Tape Arc, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. So I'm the CEO and founder of the company, and I have a a degree in physics, and I spent um, about the last 20 years working with uh, data that's been recorded to tape across a wide range of industries. And a few years back, I got an email which kind of turned uh, turned my head in a completely new direction. And I woke up the next morning after reading that email and decided I was going to do something different. And uh, that thing that was different was Tape Arc. Okay. Wow. And Tape Arc, just, just give the listeners kind of a an idea of what exactly does TapeArc do, your, your product or your solutions do? So TapeArc was a company that I created surrounding this movement to the cloud by most major corporates. Since the 1960s, companies have been backing up their, their data to tape. There really was no cloud to back up to, and you either had to keep adding disk storage to your network or get the data off your network so that you could free up space for more data. And In my view, when I saw uh, the sheer amount of tapes that had been created, I realized that the the largest collections of data in the world are currently sitting on tape. Uh, Really, everything since the 1960s through until uh, the cloud became a viable backup target. So there's about 50 years of of data that's been created on tape and put uh, on the side of um, uh, operations containing some really valuable assets, but but no way uh, to to easily get to them. So, what TapeArc uh, does is we we have two uh, primary solutions. One is a restore service, so we'll take a large collection of tapes, thousands of tapes, and we will perform a restore on those and deliver back the content into a cloud bucket so that the customer can avail themselves of their content or monetize their content or try and make some new discoveries from some of their legacy content. And the other solution is a uh, what we call a virtualized solution. So we will take the customer's backup software and all of their backup tapes and virtualize those into a virtual tape library in the cloud. And then they can get rid of their backup hardware 
from their data centers and go into a completely virtual environment. So instead of having physical tapes stored offsite in a, in a tape vault where they're paying money for basically nothing, we can move those tapes into the cloud and um, allow them to access those at scale. Wow, that's that's pretty slick. And so you you are essentially giving giving them the ability to kind of recoup some of that capex, uh, that that data center infrastructure that that they typically had on premises, and they're able to retire that and kind of save on on those costs. Is that correct? Yeah, there's there's three or four primary costs. The first one is um, hardware support. Uh, for tape libraries and servers, software uh, support, potentially for the backup system, maintaining licenses. Um, uh, and then there's the whole data center footprint. If it's in a, uh, a co-location and you're paying by the square you know, foot for electricity and, um, and floor space and everything, they can essentially get rid of um, all of that. I think like when you look at it, Companies are virtualizing things in huge fashion right now. But the one thing that most of the customers do after they virtualize their systems and their servers is go, what do we do with this tape hardware? It's, it's physical. We can't easily move that to the cloud. And our solution allows them to virtualize that as well so they can really shut down their data centers. Okay. So is, is that the, the primary reason why? Because I know you mentioned that you know, the most common data protection, you know, that's used for large corporations, you know, just over the last 50 years has been taping. Even even I participated in that era where, you know, we were dealing with, you know, these huge monster tape libraries and thousands of tapes. And you had, you know, IBM tapes, 3494 and 3590, Otrium, what is it, LTO. I mean, there's a lot of tape technology that's out there. I think there was a DLT format and the formats go on and on. So I just kind of forget about the formats. But why are, I guess, in your opinion, why do you think most of these companies are are truly moving away from from tape and virtualizing? Well, the the key driver is that if you recorded data 10 years ago to tape um, and you wanted to read it, you need to have a 10-year-old tape drive. And a lot of companies are in that state where they've been backing up to tape. They've shifted their backups to the cloud, but if they want to maintain access to anything prior to that pivot, they have to keep the old equipment and that equipment's not getting any younger and the tapes are not getting any younger. And they're throwing money into offsite storage um, to store tapes that they, in many cases, can't even read because they don't have the equipment. So this solution um, treats every tape as a modern tape in terms of how it can be accessed in the cloud. So even if I took a DLT, it, it effectively would become an LTO in the cloud and customers can then connect to that virtual tape library and access their tapes no matter what vintage um, from uh, from their backup application without the need to have the old tape drive anymore. So, uh, and not only that, but the average cost uh, across the United States to store a tape in um, in an offsite storage facility is around a dollar a tape a month, and um, many of these tapes have um, just a few gigabytes on them, which means that they're a fraction of a cent for their footprint in the cloud. So there's actually some cost savings that you get by not storing the physical object, and then there's just the whole accessibility uplift that you get where you can access everything. And then you have the uh, further 
uh, benefit of not having to maintain the data center equipment. So right now for a health uh, organization in Australia, we're, we're closing 11 data centers and consolidating all of those backup systems into a single instance of TSM uh, in the cloud. And all of the tapes will be virtualized and addressable from one point. So they won't have 11 backup locations. They'll just have one restore point. And um, uh, it's, it's a, you know, multi-million dollar savings for them. Okay. Wow. Is it TSM or is it Spectrum Protect? Is it the old version or, or the, the new version? <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually the old version of, of TSM that's being virtualized in this wow. case. But, uh, but it, it works the same for any backup format and any tape type. Okay. Um, so customers that are stuck with their legacy equipment or legacy backup systems now have a have a viable alternative to to getting out of it. Do, do you still see a lot of enterprises or just corporations and periods still hanging on to maybe some of the traditional software, some of the older versions that were out there like TSM? And, you know, when I got started, Guy, it was ADSM, which was AdStar Distributed Storage Manager, which was before TSM. So are you still seeing older versions out there? Well, what, what we're seeing is that customers have thousands of tapes. And in many cases, due to change in staff, they don't know what recorded those tapes uh, for every single tape that they have. So we perform an audit and we go, you know what, you've got some TSM version 6 in here. Um, and you've also got some, some net backup uh, XYZ and you've got some Commvault XYZ. And they, they're often not aware that they even have those uh, other versions of software in there. So, so yes, we're, we're, we don't see the software come from the customer very often, but we do see the tapes because they've decommissioned the software, but have been holding onto the tapes because they need to retain that access to that data for sometimes infinity. There's a few companies we work with that have an infinite retention policy. That's scary. An infinite retention. Yeah. They just don't throw anything out. And I'm, I'm trying to think what industry that would be in, maybe close to, so I know the mortgage industry, you have to hang on those records for 30 years or more because that's the length of a of your mortgage, right? Yeah. So you're paying a mortgage yeah. <laughs> from that perspective, and then you have some financial services, data, et cetera. What industry am I missing here? Well, there's a couple. I mean, the health industry often has a life of the patient plus 10 years, so um, now, the challenge with that is, is if the same tape is backed up information about a baby as it has an 80-year-old man, then you end up keeping that tape mm, okay. uh, for another 100 years because it's got the baby on it that could grow to be 100 years old. So that, that mixed level of content creates quite a bit of a mess for medical organizations. But we're also seeing it in the oil and gas and mineral sector. They, they keep their data for very long periods of time because the geology doesn't change much over 100 years or 1,000 years. So um, the data can still be relevant, useful. Um, and then, of course, you look at the broadcast sector. I mean, no broadcaster who makes uh, television shows or cartoons or whatever is going to want to throw those out. They're, they're where they make their money from. So they're constantly moving that data from tape to tape and now into the cloud to, to preserve it forever. So they've got an infinite retention policy technically when you think about it okay that's that's good to know and so you mentioned that you can literally convert that data from tape uh into the cloud and so this is any public cloud or is it they're just one over the other you support all three uh we support all of the three majors we also work with backblaze and wasabi um uh so 
all three of the majors and a couple of the minors uh, as well. Got it, got it. And and you you also said that you are liberating some of the largest data sets on the planet. I, I remember seeing that somewhere or reading that somewhere. Can you explain what that means and, and how large is large? Sure. So um, going back to kind of the mission of the company, this will kind of help explain what it, what it is we're trying to achieve. So I personally uh, believe that the largest collection of data in the world is still sitting on tape. Um, it, it's bigger than what's in the cloud. Uh, because it's 50 years of continuous backup for the entire planet. So if you wanted to look at an old sales uh, database for Walmart, uh, there's every chance that that old sales database is on a tape back from 25 years ago or whenever they were backing up their, their data. So I look at it and go, by default, the world's largest collection, it may be the second largest collection, but, but, um, but it's, it's right up there, is, is tape-based data. Now... Um, everything from the human genome through to cancer research through to cartoons are backed up to tape. And I, I also believe that the most profound discoveries that we're going to see in the next decade are going to come by the use of historical content uh, as part of predictive analytics to be able to look at old data and look at trends and then use that to help determine, you know, the what, what may happen in the future. So, um, so the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is really the fact that as a company, we're, uh, we're liberating data to do with weather. We're liberating data to do with health. We're liberating human genome data. We're liberating motion pictures. Um, uh, we're liberating subsea information about, uh, where, um, boats, uh, need to travel through the English Channel and sort of what the subsurface looks like, and these are these are you know fantastic, huge data sets um, that have a lot of value to the world as a whole because we, you know, we do want to know what the weather is doing and what it did in the past to help work on global warming. So that's one of our examples of a big project is that we're currently uh, in the UK liberating 225 petabytes of weather modeling data into the public cloud. That data will be used to um, go into a new supercompute facility, and it will also be used to help model um, global warming and start to work towards um, you know, one of the largest data sets that will be accessible at scale that's ever been done. As far as we know, that is the largest tape uh, to cloud migration that's ever been done in the world's history, and that's just one job. So. And it's a great data set. It's the weather for the last 40 years um, in, a, in a major part of the world. So very exciting to see what kind of results come out of that. Yeah, and I, I love your, your theme of liberating legacy data sets. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty trendy, and I, I may utilize that topic as the, um, the title of this podcast. Liberating legacy data sets, I may take the legacy name out of it, but <laughs> yeah. it is what it is, right? <laughs> um, so what's what's like the number one request that that you and your team have when it when it comes to tape? Uh, well, it comes in two flavors. One is that the customer has a long retention period. They don't have an interest in the content uh, at the particular moment that they're speaking to us, but they know that they need to preserve access to the content. 
So those, those become virtualization customers. And it's all about how can I get rid of my physical infrastructure and still maintain access to my data for uh, legal reasons or industry compliance reasons. And this ticks the box really nicely and allows them to close the loop on a cloud migration because they'll migrate their entire operation up and still be stuck with the tape silo trying to figure out how they're going to deal with that. And we've, you know, we've got that, that solution. Then the second issue uh, that we see is, is the uh, restore component. And we're doing a lot of that in the broadcast sector uh, at the moment, as well as in, in the work that we're doing um, with the weather data in the UK. Um, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 petabytes at the moment that we're working on. So almost half an exabyte of data coming from tape. Um, and, uh, you know, th that customer with who wants to do a restore is often interested in the monetization of their content. How can I make money from what I had 10 years ago? And I think uh, if you're in the analytics space or the machine learning space, we're going to be liberating some seriously cool data sets that are going to need some great machine learning and analytics applied to them, um, like the human genome stuff that we've done where we have um, we were working with a, another person who was working on some anti-aging uh, technology. And um, to, to get back to that, they needed all of the previous genetic information that they'd been storing. And it was on 35-year-old uh, tape. Uh, that they that they've been doing their research on, so um, super exciting to see these things come back to life and and potentially get used. Yeah, and I, I once heard that the biggest users of tape nowadays you you probably you you probably already know guy, but I heard that it is uh, the public cloud vendors like AWS that they have tons of tape libraries and tapes to to utilize for their cold storage because it's cheap and it's also you know secure. If you think about, you know, storing, uh, may, maybe isolating the network and you're storing it in such a fashion that that data is, you know, not not on the same network and it's considered, you know, offline. protected yeah. from ransomware, then that's a good, yeah, it's considered offline or air-gapped, you know, then it's a, it's a great solution. Have you heard that? Uh, yeah, I, I believe that some of them do um, use tape in the back end. And I, it's kind of funny because I do hear people go, oh, why would you move your tape? It's just going on to another tape in the cloud. Well, there's one fundamental difference. A, you're not paying for what they do in the cloud, but they'll keep it up to date for you for, the, for as long as you want to leave it there. So you'll never have another tape migration to ever perform. You don't need to have any of the infrastructure. Um, and you may have read a project we're doing with Microsoft uh, where we were test driving Project Silica, which is a new backup technology set to, you know, uh, replace uh, tape uh, as a viable storage medium in the cloud. And that just uses silica glass to, to record the data. But it's write once, uh, read many, it's immutable. So once it's up there, it's a permanent record. and. Um, uh, it is extremely cheap and environmentally way better than than tape. Uh, it uses almost no chemicals in comparison to what a tape has uh, in, in its in its whole um, you know manufacturing process. Mm, okay, and I, I assume that you you run across a lot of a lot of migrations, like individuals that want to migrate, you know, from their physical tape libraries that are on site uh, into the cloud. Ha has that increased? Over the last, maybe let's just go back pre-COVID. 
has that increased more since since COVID hit, or is it just the same trend? No, I, I think it's increased. I think um, a few things happened. I mean, firstly, Tape Arc was pretty new just before COVID, and we found our first year and a half to two years was actually educating the market that this was a real thing that you could do, that you could get rid of the physical infrastructure. So it took us two years to educate them. COVID hit, and then everybody couldn't go into their data centers or, you know, wanted to remotely access some content, which was on a tape that they couldn't load into a drive. And that drove a number of people to start to move to the cloud as, as their backup and try and move away from tape. Uh, but they were still stuck with their legacy tapes. And that's when they started, you know, calling us and saying, hey, we hear you've got this solution. And we've moved from what we would have been a startup pre-COVID and we're now a scale up. We're starting to to grow. I'm here in Dallas doubling our data center uh, space and are doubling our bandwidth out of the facility. It's very exciting. And I, I think we've seen the demand increase now that people are realizing it's it's a viable alternative. It's been done. People have used it. We've got reference cases. So uh, yeah, so super exciting times. Awesome. Awesome. Now, Guy, I am going to, I'm, I'm on your website, so I may remove this point, but I'm looking at something that's really cool. And it says, Fresh insights from fifty-year-old moon dust. Yes. Can can you maybe speak to that if you don't mind? Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, years ago, uh, with the Apollo missions, um, there was an Australian scientist who was one of the scientists who built some of one of uh, very few instruments that were put up on the moon to measure things. Um, he submitted a proposal to NASA and one of his proposals was accepted along with five or six others to build instrumentation to put up there. And he built uh, something called the CPLE, C-P-L-E-E, which was a charged particle lunar uh, electron uh, system that was looking at charged particles. And um, in the process of doing that, the team at NASA said, look, we believe that there's going to be dust um, there you should have a dust cover over your instrument until after the uh, aircraft takes off and then once the dust settles then you can um, we can use some something to take the dust covers off and you can start your instrumentation runs um so in that process uh brian o'brien built a dust detector which would actually measure how much dust was um kicked up from the exhaust rockets uh of the apollo uh landing module and um, since that time, uh, we had to revisit that dust data. And I worked with Brian, who had some uh, 1960s seven-track tapes, really, really old, some of the old, well, the oldest reel-to-reel uh, -reel tapes. And they contained the dust measurements that were being uh, sent via telemetry back to Earth uh, and then recorded to these tapes. And he had a set of the only set of these tapes available uh, in Australia. So we worked on those with him, liberated that content, uh, pushed it into AWS, and he's made that available now to the Chang'e uh, mission in China and a range of other ones for them to understand the behavior of dust uh, on the moon when, um, when aircraft are kicking the lunar surface up and what to avoid. Um, it turned out to be the number one hazard rated by all the astronauts on the moon was the dust. It was uh, sticky electrostatic dust that would stick to them and weigh them down 
getting to all the equipment, getting to the lunar aircraft. So, so yeah, we, we took that data and, and made it publicly available now uh, in AWS and people have been using it to do new research. Wow. And you, you really don't think about some of the, some of the stories behind, you know, storing data and being able to re- restore it and how critical it is to be able to do that. And so that story just fascinates me. And uh, I, I love to hear stories behind the scenes of what, what data actually does in order to transform the lives of individuals. And, and you're talking, you know, geophysicists and just, you know, data overall and us discovering new planets, et cetera. So I think that's, that's really exciting news to hear as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, there is a second uh, project we're working on that um, I can't really name the customer, but it, it is the recordings of... Um, several thousand Holocaust survivor interviews. Uh, and it's original video taken of each of the, um, the, the interviews performed by um, an interviewer. And they're being used in a way to, um, with all of the issues around fake news and deep fakes and, and so forth, to create... A, an immutable, original, guaranteed, um, unedited copy of these videos so that nobody can go back and change the past and make it look like something like that didn't happen. And um, this is 20, uh, sorry, this is six petabytes of video content that, um, you know, needs to be preserved, needs to be watched, and also needs to be protected. So, um, if you think about it in an interview across um, a thousand individuals, uh, if you run the audio tracks through some of the audio uh, systems that you find in AWS, uh, like Textract or um, uh, Recognition, you can actually start to look for key themes like two parties that were in the same place at the same time. They may have actually been brother and sister mm-hmm. and, um, and and so forth. And they may not know it. And they may not know it, but the AI would be able to piece together a completely different timeline of life based on the transcripts from all of these uh, videos. Wow. So there's some super exciting things to think about in, in that. Yeah, that that's super phenomenal. I, I just love those stories. And um, you know, I could, I could sit here and have this conversation with you, with you forever guy. And plus, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you back on. I followed you in, in the company, you know, over the years. And when I saw the Microsoft story come across, you know, I, I sent up a, a nice hurrah for you because it looks like, you know, things are picking up. And when we spoke a while ago, you were you were just getting started. So I really love what you're doing. Um, one more question for you b- before we close out here. A, a bit of advice that you could probably give to a new college student, they are a computer science major and they're not quite sure uh, what specialty in IT that they would like to go in. Would you, would you like to maybe send them a, a message right now to let them know, hey, which career field they should choose or give them some advice? Well, certainly as it relates to the field that I'm in, the AI and ML are an area that is just going to keep growing. Software development skills in Python would be a huge advantage. There's a shortage of people with Python skills. It's a very powerful and simple language. And probably areas in uh, serverless and microservice technology, um, because we've we've been able to scale a number of our processes from 
10 instances using physical hardware to over a million instances using Lambda and serverless technology. So something that we would normally parallelize across 10 uh, devices is now being done by a million devices in the cloud. And I think there's a, a lot of industries that are going to benefit from people with skills who can see bottlenecks and write code to unleash those. And um, so that's where I would focus if, uh, you know, I have a son just going into university right now and he's, he's, he was doing cybersecurity and business. Um, so uh, he's, he's, not, he's not all that keen on programming, but if, if, uh, if I met somebody in the street, uh, I'd say AI, ML and uh, uh, Python would be, you know, really good combination to get into some, and it's exciting as hell, you know, it's a great field to be in because you're going to make some, you know, some really big differences in the world where you can. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that'd be my suggestion. Okay. Awesome. I, I think that's great advice because I, I think along the same lines as well. Uh, and also I, I want to see if you are reading any anything interesting that you could maybe provide as a book recommendation. I know you don't have time to really read a lot, maybe because you're, you're too busy building the company. But in any book recommenda- recommendations that you have, Guy? Oh, yeah, I, got, I, I do read every night before I, before I go to bed. And um, I uh, have recently finished a book by Ben Horowitz called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah, I read that one. Um, it's, it's a great book. Uh, and I also just recently finished a book from some of the um, early workers at Amazon on the working backwards technique that Amazon uses. They start yes. with the press release about how a product is going to be released in the market and they work themselves backwards to developing the product from scratch. And um, I found the working backwards technique to be pretty, okay. pretty enlightening. So that's two that I've read recently. And then I usually focus on biographies, which... Uh, uh, I, I do like reading other other people's stories. And I think the AWS AWSers also do something that's what is it a six pager or a certain yes. number of pages that they write in order to yeah. you know kind of summarize and go into depth about you know whatever product or feature or functionality or service that they're pitching. Yes, yeah, we've we do the same thing at Tape Arc, and I have worked with Amazon on a couple of ideas, and we've built those um those business plans on a page or um they do have a six pager that they use no more than six pages and um uh it really forces you to focus your thinking and get you know the essence of the idea on the page as opposed to a bunch of waffle so um so yeah uh, cool anyway yeah all right well guy thank you again for appearing on data protection gumbo i have learned quite a bit you've shared some interesting facts and some stories about tape that i'm sure no one else has ever heard before so thank you again for being on the show my pleasure thanks for having me thank you for listening to data protection gumbo please follow us on twitter at dpg podcast and join our backup and recovery professionals linkedin just search backup and recovery professionals on linkedin and you will find the group and until next time gumbo listeners have a fantastic week